0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Daily Friends Show. I am your host, Nicholas Larimer, and today I'm joined by Mr. Terence Cargan. Terence, how are you doing?
1: Hi, hey, Nicholas. I'm okay, and yourself?
0: I'm all right. I'm all right. As all right as one can be for a Monday. Uh, And we're also joined today by Mr. Michael Morris, who's been having some internet connection problems, so hopefully that doesn't affect us too badly. But uh, Michael, good to have you on the show.
2: Thanks very much. I also hope that everything goes smoothly, our little glitches here and there, but I'm sure we'll overcome them.
0: Indeed, indeed. All right, let us get into our first story for today. (coughs) And this is about EFF leader Julius Malema who says that, uh, you know, while he originally supported the Springboks shortly after their win, that this was simply a uh, slip in political consciousness, and he didn't really mean to. In fact, it was, it was a bit of a mistake. Uh, you could almost say that his support for the Springboks was by mistake. Uh, originally, he had um, tweeted out um, on social media declaring that uh, when the Springboks won, that Sia Khaleesi was my captain, uh, he said on social media. Um, he also, the EFF's official account celebrated uh, the the uh, the Springboks and congratulations to the Springboks for winning the World Cup, historic, monumental and inspiring, said their Twitter account. Um, however, he now has changed his mind and says that actually, you know what, the Springboks are an apartheid symbol and they need to go. Um, he said that the EFF did not hate rugby, but that they, quote, don't love the Springboks. He said uh, springbox is an apartheid symbol. You can't remove apartheid symbols and maintain the name springbok and the springbok emblem and the colors that were used during apartheid by white people. You can't say roads must fall and not say springboks must uh, not fall. The springboks must fall. Um, he also then went on to say that, uh, why are we being forced to salute the emblem that was saluted by DF Milan, to salute the emblem that was saluted by P.W. Buerta, by former National Party Prime Minister Henry Pouvert, and by de Klerk? That emblem and that jersey represent white supremacists that we don't support. He also said that uh, the fact that the EFFs rejected the uh, the Springboks victory now, although they didn't originally, uh, was a proof that they weren't populists because uh, the Springboks were popular and they, uh, they were still against them. Terrence, um, this is kind of interesting, isn't it? The fact that, uh, you know, it's very clear that Malem was watching the game uh, and uh, that he was just as caught up in the mo- emotions of everything along with it. Uh, along with everyone else, uh, and then also that the EFF initially thought that it was a really great idea to praise the Springboks. What do you think accounts for the surprise sort of turnaround?
1: Well, I think um, the EFF is um, is a media hungry organization. I think it knows that uh, by saying something divisive like this, it uh, um, it will it will get headlines. I think that's probably that's probably the long term of it. Um, you know it knows that it's that it will it will it will upset certain people i don't think this 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 position is popular probably not even with its own with its own support base um but it's it's an organization that fundamentally thrives on mm-hmm. on on division and confrontation and if it can engineer that that's what it will do um yeah, you know, I and I do hope that uh, that 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 people won't uh, uh, won't rise and take the bait. The uh, the is an emblem is uh, there was some some talk in the nineteen nineties about replacing it, but it was a very powerful kind of tour de force, and uh, it's I think been been almost universally accepted. So you know, by all means, let uh, let let. let let Malema and his and his friends uh you know do their thing on what's it, X. Um I don't think it's something that that that, that they should um they should get traction over.
0: Michael, what this kind of suggests to me is that a lot of Malema Shtick is to a certain oh. degree um cynical, that uh you know he plays the dedicated yeah. revolutionary fighter on you know the public stage. In reality, he's actually far more normal than he would have any of us believe. I don't know. What do you make of all this?
2: Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, interesting, of course, to remember that the Springboks, the, the, the term, I think, was coined on during a, 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 a South African national team's tour to England, if I'm not mistaken, 1905, if I, I, I seem to recall, and it was suggested to them that they should call themselves the spring box from from South Africa. Anyway, that's by the by. Um, I think Terence is right. It's uh, you know it's a, 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 quite clever, actually, quite a clever way to get attention. Here's uh, here's somebody who, as you say, uh, Nicholas, who almost certainly watched the game. And I, I would imagine, quaffing beers or Shiva's regal or whatever it is, is his tipple, uh, and probably cheering along, getting as excited as everybody else, uh, <laughs> but probably feeling quite distressed at the the fact that fate has not delivered to him the opportunity that was available to Sir Ramaphosa uh, to sidle up to to the, the cup uh cup bearing Khaleesi and and <laughs> beg a little of the of the of the glorious attention that he was getting. Um, so you know it does suggest uh, that this was this was the next the next best option and it kind of looks you know it looks revolutionary it looks it looks a bit silly actually <laughs> to, to any sensible person but i imagine to to plenty of other people they'll think well yeah yeah you know he's, he's right um springboks that's 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 i mean that's Afrikaans and that's you know that's the old stuff and we we want something new and um, and it, quite, quite bes- besides the possibility of people taking it seriously, it just does get attention. Um, it's always a difficult thing. It's a slightly different topic, but it, it relates, I think, to Terence's point: as is, is to how, what we, what we would like the media to do. Um, I, I don't think it would be wise for the media to decide that they are not going to show us things because. They seem cynical, or they seem contrived. Um, that's for us to decide. We, it, it, it's uh, the media's job is, is simply to bear witness. Um, I hear a lot of people over the years have heard a lot of people over the years saying we shouldn't give, <coughs> shouldn't give the EFF oxygen. Um, th- 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 that's that's not the media's job to decide to cut the our oxygen off politicians who you know running the the, the the third biggest party in the country. We've got to watch them. Everybody's got to watch them. Um, and talk about what they're doing as we are doing now, um, and the question is just the quality of the analysis. And I think I think Terence's point is is very good. Just on the, uh, it's a very quick aside on the on the question of whether you know, if 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 this were a sort of uh, 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 sincerely uh, sincerely archaeological, there's a point that um, the that Terence himself made in a in a debate on ENCA I think just last week um, on the issue of uh the private the position of the private sector versus the state in south africa who should deliver solutions and what are the risks of the private sector taking over from the state and therefore um, did, um, making it uh, making solutions unaffordable for people who, who you know who don 't earn a lot of money and terence 's well, fundamental point was we're actually beyond an ideological argument this is an argument about practical things, and I think this is where Mil is drifting off into this realm of of uh, you know of, of silly ideologicality if you like um it's it, it doesn't make any difference to anyone it's completely worthless has no contribution to make to our future and to improving the lives of people so yeah i think that's just one last point
0: that's just interesting so i'm just looking at his mm-hmm. uh, his twitter slash x feed now i'm seeing um he's put up in the last two hours, a nasty tweet uh, calling the stronger together campaign of the Springboks, quote unquote, rubbish. Um, And I think this perhaps also explains part of really why he turned around. It's not just that there's some sort of ideological thing here. It's that he realized elatedly that the Springboks win undermines the fundamental project of the EFF, which is to divide South Africans along racial lines, which is to encourage racial resentment and hatred. Um, and this is why uh, he, he had to turn on it, because mm. it was a moment when South Africans really, you know, sort of came together in supporting a sports team, um, people from all over the country, people from all races, all classes. And uh, he realizes that if the symbol is not uh, tarnished and shaken down and thrown over, it will undermine mm. the EFF's call message. Um,
1: Terence, any any thoughts on that and any final thoughts no i think i think i think you've you've, you've nailed it there it's a um, uh, anything that promotes moderation compromise uh, real solutions work you know works against the EFF business the ffs business plan and uh, you know it's very similar for you know various other ideological hectors and race hustlers across the, across the country you want you um, don't want to actually resolve anything you mm. want to keep the flame. that's also why uh you know you will see a, you know enormous effort being put into discussing something like um, uh you know uh the inc- the incorrect demographic mix of an organization but very little about uh you know how things like uh, uh like language proficiency or uh you know the sort of school to work pipeline um, uh, uh, functions because those are those disrupt the narrative. Hmm. They often a lot, you know. Sometimes they, they they may be virtually impossible to solve. Sometimes they makes it makes be quite easy to uh, to resolve. But just but discussing them and acknowledging them takes the sting out of the um, uh, uh, out of the out of the the, the 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 divisive narrative. And Also, incidentally, this is something that the whole diversity industry has, cotton, has cottoned on to. Uh, you know, notice that a lot of these people who charge a large amount of money will, you know, be headed off at the past by saying, oh, you're not going to get away with just one session. This is going to be a long-term <laughs> thing. And, you know, we can always find something else, you know, for, you know, people to be offended about or for us to tell you that they're they're offended about. Um, so I say, I think it's it's insane, syphilitic, late-stage capitalism where they could sell you your own neur- neur- neuroses. <laughs> I think Karl, Karl Marx would probably be insulted by that. Yes, I'm sure. at, 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 at least the capitalists in the 1840s were producing stuff.
0: <laughs> uh, it's also worth noting that uh if you look at the different responses to Milan's <laughs> posts on this, his praise for the Springbox and then also his um uh his bashing of them, the bashing one is far more controversial, even among his own followers, which is quite interesting.
2: Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's almost something um, encouraging to to, be, to take away from this is that, you know, what, what he's actually advertising is that he has nothing to offer a united, prospering South Africa. All he can do, as Terence says, is sell us this idea that we've got to invest in a grievance and a division and so on. And whatever we do, there's no, there's no repairing that. Repair that, and you you damage the mm. the project of of the red berets. And uh, yeah. yeah
0: exactly okay uh let's move on to our next story and there is a story in bloomberg about how south africa is struggling to process visas so as uh, anyone who knows our economy well knows we uh, have been suffering a bit of a brain drain and we're in urgent need of skilled workers and there are indeed people who do come to south africa To work to sometimes to move here permanently, sometimes to work here temporarily, skilled workers. Uh, But the opportunity to take advantage of their skills and develop the economy and develop our companies and businesses is being stymied by the fact that government seems unable to process process their visas. Schools, universities, and the small enterprises have been complaining that the Department of Home Affairs appears unable to efficiently process work and residence permits and that it is seriously hampering their operations. Some have been left short of staff. Others have delayed or reconsidered investment plans, with several other African countries now being considered as alternative sites for regional headquarters for various companies looking to set up shop. But in Africa, this is a story relatively recently about how uh, dysfunctional the uh, the the... Uh, the e-visa system in particular was. Um, this was a new initiative that had been set up by government, but that something like uh, a majority of uh, e-visa applications were just never attended to in time and therefore were rejected, which is obviously not ideal. Um, Terence, what do you make of this?
1: Yeah, um South Africa has not really had a proper, uh, a proper immigration policy or proper migration policy since 1994, and there's been all sorts of reasons for this. Um, and you know, it's it's there is a an odd assumption, I think, within um, within the state that. Uh, uh, which they actually share I think very much with the with the Afrikaner nationalists of old that uh, uh immigration is something to be uh, uh to be looked at with your you know while while uh you know holding your nose i think there was there was a national party minister who um uh, said that you know our population growth will come through the cradle not the steamship um sure. the, you know look uh, the, there's of course a whole a whole history there but he said this at a time when uh, you know war devastated Europe was disgorging millions of immigrants around the world, and uh, you know uh, for a um, uh, uh, for a party that whose 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 future dependent on demographics, that possibly wasn't the smartest thing to do. Um, now I'm not I'm not endorsing it. I'm just saying that there it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand Rhodesia uh, uh, did the same thing. Apparently, apparently a lot of um, migrants from Italy were working on building dams, and very few of them were uh, were permitted to stay. Um, now, in our case, it's 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 rather different. Entrepreneurs, uh, um, managers, um, academics. I mean, that, that article talks about. Uh, I think I think it's a, it's a UCT professor. Um I've heard I've I've heard this over and over mm-hmm. again. I person I personally know of somebody, um a guy from um uh from Eastern Europe, educated in South Africa with uh an advanced degree, uh employed self um uh self supporting, married to a to a native born South African with a child cannot get permanent residence. So you know, he and his family have now decamped to uh, uh, to another part of the world, taking their skills, their taxpaying power, and everything with them. Um, uh, the question is, you know, exactly how does this uh, uh, how does this end? You know, do we um, uh, uh, do, do we wait for the you know the sort of Albert Einsteins to come knocking on our doors? Uh, we'll take you and you, but uh, you know uh um no one else no it's it's it, it's the it's the air of unreality that's that that circles so much um that 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 circles so much governance and this is actually one issue where the government actually admit there's a problem so you know it's like not that oh, I don't know it's 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 it it just it just it just beggars belief really so well, that right. is not a premier in, um, uh, 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 immigration uh, um, uh, destination anymore. So why make it difficult for those people who can make a contribution to, 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 to come here?
0: Right. This is what's so sort of twisted is that if you want to follow the immigration rules, <laughs> everything is put in your way. Uh, the system is dysfunctional. It's broken. Um, and so no wonder, you know, uh, from the top to the bottom, we've got problems where people are, are here, on dubious status, or they cross illegally, or they have to leave the country because of residence permit, permit problems, as you say, um, I, I knew a Zimbabwean who had lived here most of her life, very engaged here, permanently, that she wanted to get South African citizenship, applied for it, she qualified, they just never did the application, um, after literally years and years of waiting. Uh, Michael, what do you make of all this? It just seems utter madness.
2: Mm, I think it is. Um, I certainly endorse all, all Terence's points, and I, I think it's probably true that a country that makes it easier or easiest for a, or easy for a skilled immigrant to come and succeed is a country that makes it easiest for its own citizens to succeed. It's just a, it's a kind of mindset that we we're looking for the right skills to help us. Um, Develop our economy and all the rest of it. I think that's a kind of mindset that would, if it, if it, if it, if it permeate, it's allowed to permeate through the through the state apparatus, government, and so on, policymaking, is the kind that is looking at real issues, real problems, and so on. I was quite interested to see in that um, in that uh, Bloomberg story um that in, that in fact is as you as you say nicholas it, it arises from government anxiety about the difficulty of getting of getting uh sufficient uh skills in, into the economy from wherever they you know where they are available and and it's chiefly from outside Two, two issues arise there. One is the the uh, school to jobs pipeline that Terence referred to a little earlier. You know, we, it's almost as if we say, well, we, we can forget about South Africa and say so we've got to rely on, on on foreigners. That might be quite quite clever in the short term because perhaps that is where the skill is because of our deficiencies in our education but we really, you know, that's clearly something we need to look at. But one of the things that interested me in the story was the KSATU, the Congress of South African Trade Union's uh, position on this question of immigration. Um, The uh, uh, acting national spokesperson uh, Matthew Parks uh, expresses skepticism about the need to import skilled workers and instead wants more money spent on training South Africans. We have been a little bit concerned that business has gone for the shortcut route rather than finding out if there is someone in south africa that can do the job i think it's we could probably be fairly sure that the business is very astute at these things they've figured out where the skills are if they can get them what they cost is the productivity high enough all these things Um, the, the cost of staff i think is probably one of the highest costs in any business uh and what th- what the government ought to do is to say to business you tell us what you need and we will make it easier for you to do that because we understand that your role is the most important one in the situation where we've got almost half our almost, certainly more uh, half of our young people unemployed and a third of all employable south africans unemployed we need every little bit of help we can get um and let's 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 do the sensible thing but yeah that's that's clearly not not what we're getting
1: all right on on Mm. on that the whole the whole question Mm. of training um you know it it, it, it's not something that you can that you can resolve by throwing you know by throwing a six week course at um, exactly. you know it's it's some as I say it's something that goes from from early childhood development. I think you, you get to a point where it's almost impossible to sort of reverse those those the, those deficits. The other thing is that um there's a, there are a lot of um, intangibles that come that come with migration um, you know the um uh, people you know coming from 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 the industrialized areas of china. Um, now everyone knows i 'm not a great fan of um, uh, a great fan of communist china, but I, you know I do think there's there 's something that there's something uh very uh, uh, admirable about about you know many of the the, the enterprising people who um, uh, you know who who show up here with a small amount of money business contacts back in um, uh, uh, back at home and you know they 're willing to um uh, they 're willing to work to work long hours to create value that didn't exist there the same i think is true for for uh, you know somali traders um you know uh they uh, a couple of years ago one of our um, in a in a moment of brilliance one of our ministers said well i must realize the guests here and they must share their share their secrets you know there's no, no great secret what you what you have is a lot of um uh, is a lot of sort of clan-based trust People, you know, club together to form credit associations. They can buy goods, uh, you know, in bulk, and they can they can sell them competitively. You know, <clears throat> so, so there you see, I've 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 just legitimated every foreign trader in South Africa.
2: <laughs> you know, I, it, it, you're mentioning uh, a Somali trader. Uh, just on Friday, I, I was up in Johannesburg and, and needed to get from, from uh, Auckland Park to, to, the, to the airport. And my Uber driver happened to be a young Somali student. Who is studying international politics uh, international relations and politics at University of Johannesburg uh, he came here specifically to study because it was an option and he, he he grasped it to pay for it. He drives an Uber from Friday afternoon three o'clock until Sunday evening at six o'clock He knows exactly how much money he needs to make, and that's what his target is and he works as many hours as he needs to to get that and We had a long chat about his life and life. In Mogadishu and life here and so, on. and one of his interesting remarks was he just does not understand how it is possible for us to have such a high unemployment rate because he says there is so much work <laughs> it's a, you know and it, it, that's exactly it's a, it's a it, you know it's somebody somebody coming in from outside who can, who can actually teach us something about just the virtues and the benefits of effort. Of mm. thinking of yourself in different terms, you you have an opportunity. To exploit it, to use it. Um, mm.
0: uh, the solutions are as, graspable. Yeah, exactly. As, di- as difficult as as economic situation is here, in Somalia they're a lot worse. <laughs> so, uh, and he's able to yeah. see that difference and mm. make and make the best of it.
1: Um, yeah, no, you know, I've heard that that this is something you find with a lot of uh, people from, um, uh. Depressed countries who make make their way to Britain or to America or to you know uh, developed countries, they, they 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 can't believe how easy it is to make money there. Mm. Um you know, and this goes from whether you know you can you can do an extra shift at, at McDonald's, you know, and they'll give you, they'll give you money for doing those hours. Or yes. well, you know, like I mm. yeah, I don't mind working 18 hours like in my little convenience store, um mm. and cho- and only charging a five percent markup. Uh
2: you, know, you know, Yeah, you know, it's something we can learn from.
1: It's an, easy, it's an easy group to blame. Yeah, indeed. But
0: <laughs> anyway, uh, let's move on to probably our last story for today. Um, and this is a, a bit of research done by uh, the University of Cape Town's Library Institute of Strategic Marketing, which shows that middle class South Africans, are, as in many other places in the world, um, putting off retirement and basically this is not because they're necessarily poorer or because they can't afford it, but actually because younger uh, uh, older people these days are more comfortable working uh, longer and uh, uh, not sort of being ready to give up on work and just settle down, and that, in fact, according to this report, many of them are looking younger and staying healthier for far, for far longer, and that uh, retirement at the age, particularly of sort of sixty, sixty-five, may be an outdated concept. Is the uh, suggestion in this report? And this is indeed a trend that's going on across much of the uh, the, the, the developed world. Um, Michael, what do you make of this? Uh, there are obviously policy implications for this about mm. retirement age and that kind of stuff. But uh, you had another observation in our pre-show discussions.
2: Hmm. Mm. I mean, a few things um, I think are worth pointing out. I, I happen to be in that sort of um, that sort of cohort, just between 60 and 65. Um, I hope that I'm healthy and, and and don't look quite as as old as uh, people my age, maybe uh, 50 years ago. Um, but there's certainly, I mean, it, it, as as the life I live, there's certainly no um, no question that uh, I could. Easily uh, uh, give up working, and and uh, and even though I've in fact been quite responsible, I think over my lifetime saving. Um, it just you know the, the pressures of of the world today are such that you uh, that you can't uh, you can on the same sort of pattern of life as as perhaps our parents did, and that is I think also a good thing. Um, before I get to the point that uh, that you, you want me to get to, the, the other thing that I think is, is, is quite significant in the stories is just, you know, the fact that people over 55 have a great deal of experience to share and, and a great deal to contribute. So I think that's a quite a good thing in terms of the economy and society that there is perhaps an acknowledgement that once people have d- developed all the this, this skill and experience, they be given an opportunity to continue to re- kind of reinvest it, if you like, into, uh, into how things are done and how, th- how solutions are sought and one thing or another but th- what is very striking i think is um is that is you know that the, the middle class in south africa is very much uh, as the piece says very much in tune or very much aligned to patterns of of work and and, and retirement and so on that are common to the developed world and what is uh, is distressing and is uh, quite an indictment of especially of our last 30 years is that so many south africans simply aren't in that position to 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 make choices about these things they just have to scrounge as best they can for as long as they can you see very old people still battling still trying to you know keep families together um, and doing menial work, hard work that you know, I know that even my age, I find that much more taxing than ten years ago. Um, so there's a kind of there's a quite a tragic element to um, to the South African experience of this ageing um, process and 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 you know having to keep working just to just to feed yourself and your family. Um, there was I saw a figure somewhere in the piece that referred also to our notoriously bad um savings behavior only six percent of south africans can afford to retire and i think that 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 probably is true um it's a kind of mixed blessing it may be good for them that they have to keep working for something but if it's if it's not healthy work um or it's work that requires you know that depends on your being young and fit and 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 healthy and so on then it's i'm sure it can become a terrible burden uh yeah so all all kinds of elements to the story i think
0: uh, Terence, your thoughts on this one? Well, I
1: think that I, I, you know, I, I've, I've noticed that there's a certain trend where people say, "Well, the middle class can afford to, but the poor can't." Uh, you know, I'm not. I, 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 I tend to think that those people who say you say those sort of things tend to be in the very upper end of the middle class, and yes. perhaps yeah. not encumbered by children or whatever. Um, exactly. So actually, um, uh, actually, to maintain your sort of uh, uh, your sort of middle class standard of living. Uh, is hellishly expensive. You know, you you are taxed, and then you know you've got to you've got to essentially privatize yourselves out. I mean, I wonder mm. if um if we had functional education, functional health services, or whatever, if you didn't have to pay your medical aid, your security, and whatever, just how much money that would that would that would free up. Um, and I you know I think as we uh you know as people as 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 people as people get older, demands particularly for medical care remain, and that's not something that they can. Um, uh, that 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 they're able to to sort of uh, 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 take care of out of pocket, or not willing to 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 uh, rely on the state for. Um, you know, if you were in the Netherlands or Sweden or wherever, you know, not you know not not only are they uh, you know fairly generous uh, you know uh, state provision but odds are most people have, uh, uh, have, have resources of their own plus social services are excellent. So, you know, that's, uh, for myself, you know, uh, retirement is kind of like a distant thing that I doubt I shall ever experience. <laughs> you know, what's, what's that song? I'll sleep when I'm dead. Um. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> that's uh reminds me of the joke about what's your retirement plan, the lottery. Um, <laughs> anyway, I think uh, I think we're going to call it to a close. There, I did just want to mention our last story, which maybe we'll talk about tomorrow because it's just so crazy. Uh, there's mm. this destitute municipality in the northwest who have managed to spend 38 million rand on a call center in a shack on the same premises as their already existing call center, and it's not entirely clear whether anything is actually being done in this call center. And even better, they are renting the computer equipment for this call center, including renting a mouse for 470 rand a month.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. yeah,
1: that's. I, I think we're going to have to talk about it tomorrow. Anyway. You said you said that, that the municipality was bankrupt. I think I know why.
0: <laughs> yeah, this might be a an indication as to why they're having money troubles. Uh, anyway, um, that's all the time we have for today. We hope that you found this show interesting. We'll be back tomorrow with the Daily Friend Wrap. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>